Hi, and welcome to Season 2 of Big Sound Small Town, the podcast that spotlights the talented and diverse musicians in small towns and communities. This season, we're branching out to include the community of people who make it possible for musicians to be able to perform their music, the producers, the recording engineers, the venue owners, and many others, and as always, the small town musicians. Remember, small town doesn't mean small talent. Hear their stories. Today, Big Sound Small Town is in the pink room of the Big Bass Studio. This is the COVID-19 sessions, I guess is what we'll call this. And my guest today is bassist Philip Simmons. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thank you, Sandy. Good to, be, good to hear from you. All right. Well, uh, let the people know, are you working these days? Well, I'm not. Um had a lot of shows that were scheduled through March and April and May, and most of those have been canceled slash postponed um, until we get through whatever this madness is. Right. Oh yeah. Well, now, do you? How about your day job? Is it still working? Yes, um, I do have a day job. I work for a magazine distributor um, at some of the local stores around town, and actually, a lot of people in Shelby and Gaston, you probably see me relatively often we are still um working hard putting our magazines out we've been deemed essential employees um so our work has not stopped but you are staying safe i hope my brother yes trying to uh 
minimize cross-contamination. I wear my gloves every day, wash my hands more times than I can count, and uh, so far so good. I've been able to uh, avoid any infection. That sounds really good. All right, so when this is over, do you have um, a musical act that you're working with? I do. I actually have a few acts that I've been playing with. Um, uh, if anybody keeps up with Scott Moss, sure. which I'm sure they do. I've been playing with Scott for a number of years now. Um, I am a $100 handshake, I think, yeah. uh, is what we're calling it. Um, I have some shows with Scott that were scheduled that were hopefully be rescheduled. I know some are looking toward the fall. Right. Um, I also have been asked to join Harvest um, and play with them some when we can get back to having some gigs. Well, they um, the good part is most of those band members from both of those uh, groups have been a guest on my show, so that's good. Uh, that's right, that's right, and I've heard some of those. They've been very good. Well, thank you. They're um, uh, stories pretty much tell herself. I just have to sit here and enjoy them. It's the great part of the job. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right, now have you always been a bass player? I have. I started out playing bass, um, and I picked up some other instruments along the way, mostly guitar, just kind of, you know, playing around and right. trying to do some other things. Um, actually, over the last few years, I've, I've been trying to learn how to play um, piano just for the musical knowledge. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, totally self-taught, never really taken any significant lessons from anybody. Um, I just like it a lot and uh, trying to expand my horizons. But, you know, I've met a lot of folks around the area who pl can play, you know, multiple instruments. And sometimes I, I feel like I'm missing out a little bit on that. But, uh, you know, my focus has always been on the bass and I, I kind of think that way. And I've, got, I've gathered over the years that some people appreciate that, that, you know, that's the first thing to come to mind when I'm playing an instrument. So maybe that's a good thing. Well, I mean, I think it is. I like, I personally like dedicated bass players as opposed to a guy like me who it's forced on a whole lot of times. And, right. you know, it's not, would not be my instrument of choice, but it seems like it's been my instrument of employment, which is not, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a blessing, but I, I as a bassist, I prefer bassists who are really, basis first yeah well i definitely am that's i started out doing that when and uh, you know some people that i've talked to some of my bandmates know this i actually didn't start playing until i was in college um yep. was actually staying at my mother's house for a summer um running one of her businesses at carolina beach mm -hmm. while her and my stepdad were taking a vacation in oregon and while i was there staying at her house my stepdad had a um PV Foundation four string bass oh, yeah. sitting in the corner, and yeah. I just picked it up. And I was a I was a huge Primus fan at the time. Right, that's kind of a weird music to you know to try to kind of learn from. Yeah, really. But I picked the I picked the bass up one evening, and I just messed around with it. Had never picked up a guitar or anything, and and uh, I found that I could play a couple songs just just by remembering kind of how they go. And right, I screwed around with it for about a week, and um, from then on, I fell in love with it. I spent a bunch of money on instruments, spent a bunch of money on amplifiers. Sure. And, uh, that became the thing that I spent um, all of my free time doing. You know, it seems like those $100 handshakes, um, particularly like you and Scott, uh, late bloomers, but but then you really bloomed. I mean, 
both getting late starts compared to other musicians but that that to me that is a a sign for every musician who wants to be you don't have to start when you're young to do it and, and you right. can still take it to a really high level well you know there's there's times when i uh, i kind of regret that i didn't do it earlier like if i had learned some of the more basic things or taken piano lessons when i was a child right. or been in school band or something like that uh, that i may be a better musician but and i you know without a doubt i probably would be uh, well I, I you know there's a lot to be said too that sometimes you get directed in a unnatural way too that takes away some of the heart and soul of what you learn uh on your own well since it's it, since it was something that kind of wasn't thrust on me by doing it in school or my right. parents pushing me to do it it was something that i picked up later in life after i'd kind of become an adult right and i think for that reason i it was something that i wanted to do i didn't have any outside influence on whether i should do this or right. it should be you know, like a sport that your parents might try to get you into or something like that. It was actually something that I wanted to do, and I liked it that much, and I was willing to put the time and the effort into learning how to do it. And, so I, and I think that's important. Yeah, I do. I, I think that's important because a lot of people start out playing the instrument, and all said and done, they really didn't enjoy it, and they wind up playing something else. So, you know, it's um, there's pluses and minuses about it, but... Obviously, you liked it enough and woodshedded for a pretty good while to to learn how to do it. I, that's correct. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, it, starting out kind of late and being fairly green, um, you know, I found some other people in and when I was in college, just some friends that I had in different classes. Right. Then I lived in Hickory for a couple of years after college, and I just you know had a couple of buddies that I jammed with. Actually, one friend of mine. Um, who I'm still friends with, and we still see each other and, and try to jam regularly. You, um, you can give him I, a... You, stri strictly for fun. Right. Well, you can give him a shout-out. <laughs> yeah, his name's Andy Rump. If he's listening out there, I'm, I'm sure uh, Andy will tell you. We've been we've been playing music together for <laughs> most of my life now. That's, and uh, he's a really good really good buddy of mine, and it's, I, I don't... There's, there's no pressure. We don't really learn anything. We just kind of make stuff up. And sure. it's, you know, it's just something that we do strictly for fun. We've gone out and played a few times. Um, but, you know, for me, that playing with him and, and our, another friend of ours named Ruffin Reynolds, who's been in some local bands, too, he's a drummer. And for me, that's, um, you know, it's just kind of a, kind of a relaxing thing. Sure. I, I, with the other bands that I play with, I'm, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm struggling or having to work hard or something like that. But, you know, there's, when you're, when you're playing with a band that's actually going out and playing and doing gigs, you've got to pack oh, your yeah. stuff up. you got to draw all the kind of logistics that go into playing with a band. And uh, sometimes it's nice to be able to just sit in your garage with your buddies and, well, you know, I mean, around for, for fun and not, it not really mean anything. And I think you hit the point there. So many times, once you start doing it at a professional level, some of the fun disappears. I mean, you still love it, but some of the fun disappears when you load up, tear down, go through band members. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's it, 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 it's harder than what people who don't play understand. Well, it can, it can be work. Um, you know, I, 
you might, it, let's say you, we may go to a show in Knoxville. Right. And we might, we might have 10 hours tied up in the driving, setting up and sound check and driving back home. Right. And not, not that that's not fun because it's great to hang out with True. You know, all those guys are my friends I'm in bands with. So I get to hang out with my friends. We have a good time. It's, it's, it's not, you know, work, quote unquote. Right. But there's still work involved and the music, you know, actually playing the music, you know, if you have 10 hours invested in a show, you're gonna, you might play music for two or maybe True. three hours oh, yeah. at the most. So everybody, yeah, I mean, everybody knows that uh, you play for free, you charge them to drive, sit up and tear down. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's, uh, that's kind of the, uh, kind of the mus- musician's agreement, I think. I think it is, yeah. Um, all right, take, do, okay, well, let's start, let's go back to Primus. That's a, that's a strange place to start. I mean, did you start learning just Primus songs? Well, I, I did. I was, at the time, you know, this was, I, I was in college 93 to 97 at NC State, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all through my high school years, um, that was the grunge era. Sure. The Pearl Jams, the Nirvana. I was, um, I kind of shot away from a lot of the radio popular bands right. at the time. So I was a big Rage Against the Machine fan. Oh, yeah, great stuff. I mean. Right? Huge Tool fan. Yeah. Uh, Promise at the same time. Um, I don't know what it was about them that I liked. I, I I don't know if I could really nail it down. It's easy to say now that I liked them because, you know, Les Claypool's right. this crazy bass player that, yep. you know, it's easy to zero in on. I'm not sure that was the intent at the time. Right, right. I liked what he did, but I didn't really correlate it with, with you know, playing like I do now. So my mindset after I started playing was a little different. And True. I approached learning some of those songs from, you know, a, a more of a musical standpoint right. than I did when I was a fan. True, so true, when yeah. I started What's that? I said, yeah, that's true. I can see where it's totally different when, when all of a sudden you realize that Hey, this guy's really the heart and soul of that band too. Right. So, right. You know, it was, you know, some interesting stuff to learn, and, and I have to say, over to, that's where I that's where I first started because I got to playing bass a little more and really listening to more music, and then when I started playing with other people, you know, you can't really walk into a, <laughs> you know your practice room and look at your band bass and say, hey, let's play one known as Big Brown Beaver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's a little weird thing to try to do. So when you start playing with other people, you really got to kind of simplify. Right. And really, over the years, that's kind of been my mantra is try to get simpler and more simpler. And, and that really has allowed me or shown me how to, you know, think of the bass as, as the accompanying an instrument Ex- that it should be. Exactly, right? yes. It, it has a place that it fits in songs, and you really need to keep it there for the for the betterment of the song. I, I totally agree. Um you know, there's um, a thing about a pocket and a thing about a groove that um, a lot of fantastic players just never understand. Well, I, you know, it took me years to learn that. And you can ask, you know, Roger Pageant, Luke Edwards, um, I mean, all all those guys that I played with in Tater over, those, over the years and, and a lot of people. It took me years to learn how to find my place and, and keep it simple and do my part. Right. Um, you know, when you when you when you're unsure of what to do, you end up doing too much. True, this is true. And and over time, it, after listening and really paying attention and, and thinking about it from a from a more musical standpoint, 
um, you realize that you know your instrument has a place and you need to keep the instrument in that place and it really makes the song end up sounding better it really um, it really when you're does not playing too much stuff well and, and you know particularly from coming from a less uh, claypool type of beginning you know you would think that you would be a whole lot about bass soloing <laughs> right 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 and, and early on i was right um but you know it's another it's you just you just can't do it that way if you want to if you want to stay busy and if you want to play with other people you you've got to kind of figure your place out and i you know in that sense i really kind of did it backwards i learned from this guy who I didn't not you know right, I, I paid attention to Les Claypool and right. I and I drew my inspiration from all the crazy stuff that he's doing. Sure. And then over over time, I backed off on that and scaled down to what I was doing, so that you know at some point it's one four five, you know, right. roots and fifths, and yeah. you know, play play the simple thing. So it took me a while to learn that, but once I kind of had that epiphany and realized that that was what my instruments intended for, um, I think it's made me a much better musician all around well it certainly made you a demand in demand bass player because you played with um some of the finest music musicians that uh this town has to offer offer and that doesn't come if you um are not a player that people can count on playing it to fit the song i mean it just doesn't all right. Well, uh, you know, I have been lucky all these years. You know, Shelby in Cleveland County is a great town to to play music. Yeah, it There's really is. Awesome, awesome musicians. Um, and you know, you're right. I'd like to think that um, you know people have sought me out because they like the way that I play. It, it, I can't say that that was the case early on because I was still learning. I was right. still trying to figure out how all this works and and playing with a lot of people over the years. And uh, you know. Uh, just having a lot of shows, playing yeah. with people, having a lot of shows, going out in public, and and realizing what you're sounding like in front of the people that you're playing in front of. Right. It's a it's a great. It was a great learning experience for me. Now, do you remember the first time you played on stage? Can you remember that that? Let me see. The first time that I really played on stage. No, it, it's ironic because at the time. Um, you were kind of part of that. <laughs> oh, really? yeah. I'm sure well, you probably remember. Really, that was that was the first time. That was well, you know, I had played, I had played, I played a car dealership, and I played at a at a high school, you know, like a teaching function that some some friends did. I had played a, a Christmas party for PPG with some guys. Right. I wouldn't really. I, I don't really count those because. It, there weren't really audiences there per se. Right. But the first real gig that I had on stage when I first moved to Shelby, um, I was playing with you guys in Mama Santa. I right? was a yeah. I was a big. I mean, there's a lot of people there for the, to be your first on big stage. Uh, That's right. We played at the Foundation. Yeah. At Isothermal College. Sure did. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was so lost. I can't believe you guys didn't boot me off the stage well, but everybody was so nice and very encouraging that was the first time I played on stage and I have to say I, I wasn't nervous about playing in front of people yeah. I was more nervous about not doing a good job for my bandmates yeah I, I, I mean I understand that I, I this is this is similar but different I play with Cleveco now um, yeah, basically yeah. the bass player there before me was Art Mooney <laughs> yeah oh, God. 
lost. You know, I mean, that's a big cheese to fill. <laughs> it, it, it is. And, you know, I have never been nervous per se, but about playing in front of people, but nervous per se and filling some big shoes. So I do understand right. the feeling you, you have. And, you know, I've been doing this within my five years now, and I still, to in my own eyes, am still under that shadow, which, um, uh, you know, there's no comparison in my bass playing and arts bass playing. They're, they're two entirely different styles and types, and um, I'm just fortunate that uh, they're fairly forgiven in my case. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, Art is an incredible bass player. Um, I know that that's, the, you know, that would be the number one thing on my mind, too, is I yeah. want to be able to do a good enough job so that people appreciate me being in the band and, yeah. you know, yeah. doing what I'm supposed to do. So, um, so, you know, I, I, when I was, some of the first few years I was playing with Taylor, I really got nervous playing in front of an audience. And I played in front of 10 people and I played in front of, you right. know, 5,000 people. Sure. I never really get nervous about playing on stage. My my kind of the thing that I used to kind of talk myself into it, supposedly or so to speak, is um, uh, I, my philosophy is I'm the one up here doing it, and nobody else is doing it but me. So that's cool. Yeah, it is. As far as as far as getting over the audience part. Yeah. But I do, you know, I do want to do, do a good job for my bandmates. Right. I want to make sure that. You know that they like what I'm doing, um, so I can keep my job, and, <laughs> well, did, and uh, that they that they have a good time doing. It. I don't want them. I don't want to mess them up. That's the important part for me. So that's the only that's the only thing I really kind of quote unquote get nervous at. Well, you you really, I mean, locally, your bands have been pretty much big bands around here. Um, uh, so when did you hook up with Scott? Well, did was did did you hook up with Scott before you did? Um, Luke or uh, I did the Tater years first when I I lived in Shelby for about a year and I met Luke at the bagel shop when he was still running right. the, the uptown bagel. Right. Um, they needed a bass player because their bass player was moving on to some different work, and I joined up with them and I played with Luke and Roger and Kelly and Matt Miller too for a few years when he was there. Right. We did that for about nine or ten years. Yeah, y'all did um, a long time. In that time, since that was such a such a you know fairly long period of time, right? I had met a lot of other musicians around the area, and in, in at some point, maybe two thousand five, two thousand two thousand four, two thousand five, uh, maybe even before that, Scott could probably tell you better. Scott was playing in Five Point Remedy, yeah. I believe, yeah. at the time, and they played a festival, one of the Tater Fests that we threw, right. and that was the first time that I'd met Scott. And uh, you know, I knew Scott, and we had met here and there. Um, I won't, wouldn't necessarily say we were close friends right we didn't really hang out of course at that time tater was so busy that really luke and roger and kelly were my only friends we yeah i do understand that so yeah. much. that's what we did um so i didn't really hook up with scott until after the tater years after the tater years yeah that's um yep and then what yep. that but that but now that wasn't uh hundred dollar handshakes then that was it was not that was a band called evergreen yeah, that's what i thought yeah. um Right, so that was it, it, it's kind of funny because it was it was uh, myself and Roger Page and Kelly Hall from Tater, right? And 
we had actually messed around over the course of a couple of years, finding some other, trying to find some other people to, uh, to kind of fill in the space for Luke. Although, you know, all the Tater songs were Luke songs. So it was really a new band, even though Roger and Kelly and, sure. and I were, you know, still the, the instrumentalists, right, right. I guess. Um, we played with David Vi for about Oh, yeah, yeah. We played with uh, another guy named Seth Grigg, who was out of Gastonia for a short period of time. That didn't end up working out too well. Yeah. Uh, we played with another little guy um, who's actually moved to Nashville recently. His name's Trey Calloway. Oh, yeah. These were all singers that we, you know, just were trying to kind of feel out and see what we wanted to do. And some of them, it, it, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Right. We really didn't have a focus on what we were going to do. And then along the along the way, Roger played ended up doing a couple. Uh, well, he did several kind of uh, two man shows, and sometimes three man shows when Lance Watson would come and play oh, bass yeah, with them. Yeah. And they were they were doing that um, as Evergreen. And at some point, um, they Scott and Roger, I guess, at some point agreed to ask Kelly and I to come along. So Evergreen was uh, me and Roger and Kelly and then Scott and. Um, Roger's son Rush yep. was playing with us too for, yeah. for a time so we did that for about two or three years I think mm-hmm. yeah and um, that came to an end Scott got an offer to come to go play with Big Daddy Love right. he was kind of taking off and, and playing a lot at the time and uh, Scott took that opportunity um, to go play with Big Daddy Love and then everything kind of dissolved after that we right. just kind of all went our own separate ways then what did you do in that time that uh, Evergreen was down? So at that time, when Evergreen stopped playing, I had everybody and their brother calling me out of the woodwork to ask me to come play. So I played right. with Harvest, I played with the Paris Thieves, I played with South 85, which is a band out sure of the Gaffney yeah. area, uh, Spartanburg. Mm-hmm. Um, I, really, at that time, I was just filling in for whoever needed a bass player. Right. I was... At one point, my wife, Terry, she would joke with me um, that I was, you know, uh, I was playing with five or six bands at a time and juggling rehearsals and juggling gigs. And it was, it was really, actually, it was a lot of work and it was, it was, you know, kind of, kind of took a lot of energy to, to do all that. Yeah, it to does. all the places that I needed to be. But in that, in that one or two year period when I was going between so many different bands it was one of the best learning experiences because I had to learn so many different songs some songs I knew some songs that I didn't know a bunch of different genres to draw from I was going to say a lot of different um, styles in those bands right a lot of different a lot of different music to play and man that that really it helped when I came out of that and I got back into playing with some more regular acts um Man, I think it really, it really helped my playing. Yeah, really I'm sure. I'm of, sure it did. You know, just that experience of playing so many different things, um, you know, really opened my eyes and my ears. Um, to, uh, it was well, really I mean, great. Obviously, you've learned well because um, there is about three bass players in this town that get work, and uh, most of them that do are in uh, more than one band. So uh, obviously, you you. You've learned it right. Well, I hope people. Uh, I hope people think so. I mean, you know, any band that I've been in, I just wanted to do do my part, and uh, you know, uh, 
being with your bandmates is like hanging out with your buddies. I mean, there's some professionalism that needs to come along with it, um, but you're also hanging out with those people. Sure, you are. You know, and doing and doing things that maybe aren't so professional. Well, <laughs> yeah, this is true. So, you yeah. know, you need to you need to be able to get along. I like to think that I'm, you know, I'm pretty open minded with folks. Um, I like to try to, you know, get along with everybody and hear everybody's different points of view. Um, maybe that's a sign to see me that's you know trying to absorb more data. Right, could um, be. But you know, I hope people appreciate that, or I hope people, I appreciate that people, um, you know, call me and, and want me to come play and, and kind of make me feel needed. All right, give me. This is this is just for geeks. Well, wait. First, first, we're talking about hanging out with musicians. You know, musicians uh, are different than. Um, other people, uh, uh-huh. most of them are a whole lot of fun. Pretty funny, yeah. pr- pretty funny people. Um, uh, but you have to hang her out with them a little bit to understand that. That's true. And um, it's something that a lot of people miss by not spending their time around bands. I mean, a lot of times bands get a lot of negative stuff that goes with them but really really it's just a lot of fun the camaraderie with other musicians is just you know really good yes yeah i have met a lot of great folks over the years made a lot of good friends um you know that's uh, i'm not originally from shelby although i've lived here since 99 um i'm actually from mooresville just 40 miles down the road not far at all no but you know with with job situations and and band situations my wife and i we've had opportunities to move from the area try to start a life somewhere else right and whenever we talk about it we always end up coming back to all the friends and people that we've met over the years all the great things that have happened you know really because we live in this small awesome town that we live in this is true i mean i i i agree i didn't grow up here either but i am telling you this is uh if you like music and it's a good place if you the people here are good it's a good place to live it is it is and we were we're, we're glad that we stayed and uh you know our house is paid for we'll probably be here until old and gray so. that's great that's a that's a wonderful thing all right let's yep, do some yep. ge- let's do some geek stuff so what kind of bass are you, what is your go-to bass these days oh well um, I, I would love to talk about gear. <laughs> Most people have seen me play it because it's the only bass that never leaves the house. I have a four-string uh, Benevente, which is yeah. a bass made by a guy named Chris Benevente. He lives in Oregon and makes basses. That's all he does is make basses and guitars. He's been in business since probably the early 90s. Um you know, over the years, I've owned near the only bass, the only kind of mainstream bass that I've ever really owned is a Rickenbacker. Right. Um, I know, I know, a lot of bass players will probably kind of scowl at me for saying that I've never owned one, but I've probably owned every other kind of bass that there is. Right. Um, I've played through every amp and and speaker cabinet that you could probably think of. Um, uh, uh, probably in two thousand eight. I settled on a uh, uh, David Eden amplifier yeah. and cabinets made by Nick Epifani out of New York. Sure. Um, and most people 
that have seen me out carrying my stuff will see me out carrying my amp in one hand in a little bag and I carry my 1x12 speaker in the other hand and that is the rig that goes with me 99.9% of the time. The, Bene- the Benevente 4 string which is pretty much a Fender Getty lead copy. Right. It's, uh, it's a jazz based. It's a jazz, jazz based. style. It's got, jazz style, yeah. Yep, got jazz pickups. Um, a lot of people always ask me how many, why has it got so many knobs on it? <laughs> it's got a, a, a active preamp in it with bass mid and treble controls. Right. A pickup blend and a volume. So yeah. most people see my bass and they're like, why is you, I can't believe your bass has got all those controls on it. What could <laughs> those possibly do? But I usually run them flat. Yeah. I uh, play with flat wound strings because I like the uh, me too. the fullness and the old school sound of flat wound strings. So I rarely change my strings. Yeah. I play this four string. Um, I've had five strings and six strings and fretless basses and uprights and all kinds of stuff over the years. But the four string is what I like to play. It's the sound that I've kind of settled on over the years. Um, How about it? Do you, do you have a... You run a effect board of any type? I don't. I have some. I have a multi-effects pedal that I play with my friend Andy and Ruffin that I mentioned earlier, um, really for messing around. But most of the bands that I've played in, in fact, nearly all the bands that I've played on a professional level with, at least going out and playing shows, right. you know, the, the, from my experience, the effects don't tend to add, they tend to take away. All I'm right. a purist. I like uh, when I'm playing with a band and my bass is there to hold up the bottom end then I want the sure. sound to be pure and full and uh, clear and uh, that's what I go for so I plug my I plug my bass into the amp with a cord a monster cable and that's all that I do I don't do anything else that's great you know bass players are, are really uh, lucky these days I also play a rig similar to what you do mine's Aguilar with a tone tone hammer head and it's two and a half pounds and it's a 500 watt head and uh right. my speaker is 15 pounds and uh sometimes i have two of them but depending on the job most of the time i can get by with the uh one and uh right uh that's great compared to the days of hauling uh 150 pound ampeg just cabinet so Oh yeah, and I had had those days too. You know, right? it, it, it's it's a lot easier to have really heavy gear um, if you don't have to take it anywhere. Exactly. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so it's it's wonderful to have an eight by ten or two four sure. by tens um, if if you can just leave it at home and not have to cart it anywhere. But if you're if you're schlepping your own gear around, oh yeah. you know the state or the the area that right. uh, you need to take something that's that's reasonable to move around in. So that's why I, that, you know, that was the biggest reason for going with the small yep. setup that I have. Same way and, with me. Uh, you know, uh, it helps me also keep my uh, stage volume to a reasonable level. True. You know, it can't be can't be too boomy, can't be too loud. Right. Um, so you know, the small rig initially was for simplicity, just for right. not having to carry a bunch of stuff around. But I got quality stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I and really, that, really good tone coming out of it. That's that's the key. Um, you know, it's um maybe I would feel different if I had a bass tech. Uh right. You know, right. roll roll the stuff out, I might feel differently. Um right. but I'm I'm pretty happy with with uh the lightweight bass world these days. Yeah. Well I've been using this rig for so many years now that I've gotten so used to how it sounds that I've actually 
I've actually played some other uh, shows where there was a backline supply. Right. I had to play through somebody else's stuff, and you know, a lot of times it's a four by ten or sure. an eight by ten or a two by fifteen or something right. gigantic. Yep. And uh, man, I just you know I can dial my sound in and get it pretty close to how I like it, but nothing nothing is going to make me satisfied like my own. Yeah. So I mean, I'm, I'm, even when there's backlines, a lot of times I'll try to bring my own stuff just in case. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I have a. Um, a preamp that if I can't take my own, at least I, I try to take the preamp, which is similar to what I use, and run it through the back line, whatever the deal is. But, um, right. you know, you get used to your tones, and and bass tones, um, they vary, they vary, but not there's not as much variation as in guitar tones. I mean, you got... Oh, yeah, right, right. You know, you got maybe ten go-to type rigs, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, well, you know, the the lower bass frequencies are are, are a different animal than <laughs> playing up on the high end. True. Um, you know, you you just if you if you don't have just the right effect going or just the right sound going, you you kind of can get it can kind of make things muddy, right? You can, yes, so, it can. That's why I try to keep my bass my bass tone nice and clear. Um, a lot of fundamental. Um, just uh, I haven't over the years. It's it's nice you can sit with your effects and play in your house or play with a drum machine and where you can hear all those frequencies. But when you start adding guitars or horns or vocals or some of those, you know, higher end frequencies, sure. mm. you know, then you just end up you, you end up covering up all of your all all, all of your affected sounds. So. Sure. I, I had some times where I tried to do that over the years, but inevitably those things just end up sitting at home, and I just take the bass and the amp and the speaker cabinet. Yeah, I mean, you know, what, what does the job? Yeah, and I there again uh, is probably they know the tone they're the tone and the sound they're going to get when they hire you. So there you go. Right. It's not it's not um makes it's not it crazy. E- no, and it makes it easier to work. It it really does. Uh, right. Exactly. Philip, I, I appreciate in this busy world you taking the time to do this. Absolutely, man. Thank you. I, I love the podcast. I've listened Thank to you. several, and uh, man, what a great thing. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, I'm sure we'll check back in the future and see how things are going when this all lifts up, but I do. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Um, I will, uh, you know, We'll try to spread the word when when gigs start rolling again, and we all can get back out in the public. Uh, but until then, we'll just be woodshed. Yep, sounds good. All right, thank all right, you. Thank Sam. you. That's all you wanted was a place to call your own. Washed down the neon in that big silver moon. Your thoughts go dancing so far away from home. Just like a memory that figures in its gone. Now they're all smiling when they mention your name. Something you never thought you'd see. Everyone's hoping that your dreams would all Except for me 
pushing back out the slamming of the door. Pride's a reason good enough to cling to. Reason or not, it's clinging back to you. Now they're all smiling when they mention your name. Something you never thought you'd see. Everyone's hoping that your dreams will all come true. Everyone is suffering. chance at all. I said I've told you I slide bottles on fence just to watch them fall. Yeah.